Welcome to the new sound of online radio. Welcome to the sound of Universal Broadcasting Network. Anywhere. This is your sound. This is the sound of Universal Broadcasting Network at UBNRadio.com. She's passionate about telling stories of amazing women who are rocking the world and empowering women to live, love, and thrive. Here's your host, Katherine Gray. Welcome, everybody, to Live, Love, Thrive Women's Empowerment Hour, brought to you by 360karma.com. We hope you're joining the Women's Empowerment Conversation on our Facebook and following us on Twitter and Instagram at My360Karma. Today, we have on a, a friend of mine. Who, she's an incredible lady. She has a story not to be believed. In fact, so much so, they've made a one-woman show about it, and we're going to talk about that. She also has a book, a podcast, and she is the owner of The Raging Skillet catering company in New York City. Please welcome my friend, Chef Rossi. Hi, Chef. How are you? Very happy to be here. You know, it's so funny. Chef Rossi, I know that's not like your... Uh, you know, name you were born with. At you least I don't hear think that? so. But <laughs> but I know you talk about it in your book. Yeah, I don't, why don't we tell everybody? <laughs> well, people always ask me, like, how did I become <laughs> Chef Rossi as a Hungarian Jew? You know, that <laughs> sounds very Italian. Yeah. And so I always say, well, if you were brought up Slava Davida Shana Baschana Rahul, you would change your name pretty quickly, too. <laughs> yes, Probably be you like would. <laughs> selling Kreplach on the highway if I hadn't done that. <laughs> well, your story is remarkable. It's no wonder there's a one-woman show about it. And I, I loved your story about how that one-woman show got written. It was really hilarious. Um, uh, but before we get to that, I do want to talk a little bit about your background and your journey mm -hmm. uh, to where you are today um, as a successful businesswoman. Uh, but it, it, it started out that you, you were born in Jersey right, City right. And, and then uh, grew up uh, in Brooklyn, right? Well, what happened yeah. was I was I grew up on the Jersey Shore. And I grew up what you would call lowly orthodox. Yeah. That meant like our meat and dairy dishes were separate. My parents were sort of like that level of orthodox. Yeah. But we ate like the fish sandwich at McDonald's. Kind yeah. Of like at that level. <laughs> and when I was 16, I ran away from home and I had yeah. a great time until the police busted my party. And I was sent to live with a Hasidic rabbi in Crown Heights, Brooklyn who specialized in taking in wayward Jewish girls. Oh, my gosh. So that worked really well, as Not a tell. fun time. No, no. Yeah. But it got me to New York, and yeah. it gave me quite a few stories to tell. I bet. In fact, you're, uh, I know you're working on a book about mm -hmm. that story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, my first— Escaping Kings. Right. That's called it? Escape from Kingston Avenue. Escape from Kingston Avenue. My first Avenue. memoir, The Raging Skillet, came out a couple of years ago, and I've been on a, a two-year-long book tour. But yes. I wanted to write a whole book just on my experience in Crown Heights with the Hasids. And right. That's my next one. Well, you know, and I didn't know this about you, and we've been friends for a while, and uh, you shared your background. And I find that a lot of times with people and their friends, they really don't know people's backgrounds or right. what they've been through. Right. And really, it was quite uh, quite a thing that you uh, experienced uh, living in this area um, when you were 16, and they put you with the Hasidic Jews. And uh, but it. it, it you told me it was kind of terrifying. It was like oh, a yeah. really bad neighborhood. Oh, yeah. yeah. Somehow my mother had seen in a Jewish newspaper about this Hasidic rabbi who got kids out of out of cults and reprogrammed them into his particular cult. And so, which is what I sort of consider 
some of what I saw there. Anyway, my parents thought that was a great idea, or at least my mother did. Oh my but gosh. they had somehow neglected to notice that they were sending me to one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in New York. Oh my gosh. So I'm a 16-year-old little punk rock girl who grew up on the Jersey Shore, and I'm plopped off into this drive-by shooting neighborhood that oh had, my gosh. I think it had like 1,800 murders the year that I was dropped off there. Right. But uh, I didn't want to tell my parents exactly how dangerous it was because even though it was terrible, to me it was still better than living at home. So oh, wow. I kind of kept my mouth shut. Right, right, wow. So living on the edge there in this uh, reformatory, basically, environment, uh, how come it was better than living at home? What was living at home like? Well, they had... I my, know you talk about this in your memoir, yeah. The Raging Skillet. Yeah. My parents were older when they had kids, and they were a little bit like being raised by grandparents. They had older values, and mm -hmm. so they didn't want us to go to rated R movies, and they wanted my sister and I to button our top button and to be very strict. And, you know, I wanted to dye my hair pink and dance to the Ramones. And, yeah. you know, plus I was starting to wonder if maybe I wasn't exactly straight, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't a good fit. Right. Um, and they couldn't handle me at all. So yeah. You were a rebel. Yeah, it wasn't going to. Still are. Still am, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, later on, we got to be friends again, thank God. But yeah. at that point, no, it wasn't going to work. But you never did share with them, and I know they're not here anymore, you never did share with them how, you know, what a rough neighborhood you Well, a long time in. later, my mother passed away by this time, but my father was about 80 years old with his new girlfriend. And I was starting to explain a little bit about what the neighborhood was like. And his girlfriend was like, oh, my God, oh, that's terrible. And she kept turning to him going, Marty, how could you send her there? Oh. And my father was just like, he just sort of went over his head. He was like, what are we eating? Yeah, I don't know if it goes over people's heads. I think that generation goes into denial. Right, right, right. I think <laughs> Like when right. I came out to my right. parents and they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was the biggest shock of all. They're what? Right, right, right. right. They're like, oh, no. Yeah, I looked like this. It was amazing. But anyway, um, that I, I digress. I could have told them. <laughs> I could have been like, this gorgeous creature is obviously gay, just so you know. <laughs> just so you know. So uh, back to you. Um, so after you left this house, what mm -hmm. was the next step? Were you out on your own? Yeah, when you I left was there? out on my yeah. own for about three months. Mm -hmm. I, I had saved up a lot of money. I had been saving up money to run away from home since I was six years old. Oh my gosh, yeah. you really didn't yeah, like I, it. Yeah. No, I really didn't. Yeah. I had a great job on the Long Branch Amusement Pier where I was a cigarette girl. So we had a game of roulette and you put a quarter down and yeah. maybe win a carton of cigarettes. Oh so gosh. I had a microphone. I'd be like, hey, what do you say? Come on and play. Give it a spin and see if you win. You know? <laughs> I can see you doing anyway, this. Anyway, so I saved up like $3,000. And I had enough money for some crappy little hotels on the Jersey Shore. So wow. I had a three-month-long party. And then I had, <laughs> I had a great big party. And to this day, I don't remember why, I invited a bunch of sailors over. You know, to this day, I don't know why. And I had, so I had my high school friends who really looked their age. Yeah. But when I was 16, I looked like I was in my 30s. I mean, I really looked about how old I look yeah. right now. It's good it's reversed now. I know, thank <laughs> God, right? And so the police busted my party, and they ar arrested me for corrupting minors. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? And you were a minor. And I was 16. <laughs> so I had to show them my ID so I didn't get sent away to jail, and they called my parents. 
and they, that's when they dropped me off with the Hasids. Oh, wow. So once you left there, how did you make your way to New York and start this catering company? Uh, I know you did share with me first you worked for other companies, mm -hmm. right. but it was very male-oriented back right. in that right. time. Right, right, It still is, but, right. you know, even more so then. And it was hard for a woman to break in, but you were telling me that there were lawsuits going on and that kind of opened the door for you. Sure. Yeah. Well, I started out as a bartender mm -hmm. and I loved bartending, but yeah. I would, my clients never wanted to leave. I'd start telling them <laughs> jokes. They never wanted <laughs> I to could leave. see why. The kitchen would close. They never wanted to leave. <laughs> so I started going in the back to cook things for them so they yeah. wouldn't throw up on the bars. They'd have something to eat, you know? <laughs> There's an incentive. I mean, I was like, please eat something. Don't throw up on my bar. It's disgusting. <laughs> Anyway, so I thought, you know what, I really liked the cooking part, and I was getting sick of dealing with alcoholics all day. So I started to decide to, you know, become a chef. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I had to do some internships and things like that. Mm -hmm. And women were just not welcome in the kitchen. This was the 80s, and it right. really, we really weren't welcome. But there were some lawsuits around then, class action lawsuits about discriminating against women. And so I took advantage of that and got my foot in the door. And but even these, when you got your foot in the door, you you experienced the right, sexual absolutely. harassment and everything. They, right? Well, they yeah. didn't want to fire me because of the threat of the lawsuit, but they wanted to make me quit. So they would terrorize me and sexually harass me and give me terrible jobs. And basically, I saved myself because I was blessed with really, really a filthy mouth. So, <laughs> you know, I could curse with the best of them. And so I would tell them what to do with their this and that. And they, they, I sort of eventually won their respect. It sounds like uh, that experience of being sent off to that home, actually, like many times in people's lives, uh, that challenge probably made you more resilient. Right. Yeah. To this day, yeah. no matter what, no matter how hard something is, I have yet to experience anything where I couldn't stop in the middle yeah. of it yeah, and say, you're very fearless. still not as bad as Crown Heights in 1981. Right. You wow. Know? Wow. So it has been kind of a source of strength. Yeah. And what made that 1981 Crown Heights so horrible? Well, it was the fact was in the Hasidic neighborhood, you were relatively safe from outside crime. But if you took three steps out, you know, you were sort of like a sitting duck. There were mm -hmm. like these these terrible drug dealing gangs that hung out on the corner and people mm -hmm. were getting killed in broad daylight. And wow. then even within the community, you weren't really safe because there were a lot of renegade Hasidic Jews that really should not have been there who were showing up at my door and trying to have sex with me. I mean, oh, my gosh. It was really, really an ordeal. Oh, my gosh. And so... So I, that's what made you a tough broad. I had to get very tough very yeah. fast. Wow. I wasn't planning on getting tough that fast, yeah. but I had to do that. But then it served you well here later in life mm -hmm, as you mm -hmm. were entering into this right. male-dominated field. So Absolutely. that's cool. Yeah. And so you were explaining to me that while you were working for one of these companies, you started opening your own side right. business right. called Parties with right. Parties right. with well, Rossi. This was the 80s, and yeah. so it was the era of terrible names for your company. <laughs> you know, there was Bodies that by was Jake, bad. Parties by Rossi. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I started this business on the side and I was still working for other people that which paid the rent and that gave me the courage to do this you know I wasn't relying on the income yeah. it's always great to start a business when you already have a I job know, yeah. I know I yeah. know I know smart the problem was people kept calling and asking for terrible food 
because I guess the name of the company didn't inspire them to ask for anything interesting. Yeah. And so it was getting very depressing. You know, they were like, can you make chicken cordon bleu? I was like, I can, but then I have to kill myself. You know? <laughs> and so I thought, I want a name for my company where they just won't even call in the first place. Yeah. And at that point, I was writing a cooking column called The Raging Flying Skillet. And so, I, you know, I'm typing it in. This is like back in the days when we had typewriters. Yeah. And while I'm finishing it, I'm like, I need a name. I need a name. And then I look at the title of my column. I'm like, oh, my God, The Raging Skillet. And so yeah. I named my company The Raging Skillet. And pretty much from that point on, I've gotten almost always interesting phone calls. Like right. You could do a performance piece based on the unusual requests I get. Oh, I bet. Which is really fun. What, can I, what, what are some of them? Well, the best one was when I was asked to cater the VIP party for the vagina monologues. Oh, wow. So I had all celebrities. I had Whoopi Goldberg and Rosie Perez and Glenn Close and, you know, everybody. And my job was to feed the 600 VIPs afterwards an enormous amount of food, but that it should all be anatomically correct. So if you think about making lots of things to look like vaginas, you know, that was a really good challenge. You know, like oval-shaped croutons with like a slither of Korean barbecue beef down the center and some black puff of seaweed, you know. And they knew you could do it. Yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. It was a fabulous challenge. Oh, my gosh, I love it. So you have fun with this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you named your company The Raging Skillet. Right. And then your first book, The right. Raging Skillet, right. also, right. your memoir right. of right. growing up in this right. uh, Orthodox Jewish family right. and your story to... And escaping. You're and escaping and, and then uh, eventually becoming, chef. becoming the chef with all these interesting recipes, which are in the book, right. The Raging Skillet. Right. a lot uh, of them are. Now, I, one that stands out that I recall was... Uh, Snickers and mm -hmm. potato chip casserole. I really want to try that. You know, you would love it. <laughs> well, when I I was recipe testing, for you know, the everybody book. here in LA is just in, in, in gasping right oh, now. Oh, horrified, horrified. <laughs> it's probably These not gluten free. LA healthy eaters are it's horrified. Probably not gluten free. It <laughs> makes a terrible mess. It, it'll ruin your diet. It's, it's everything all wrong. <laughs> and basically, I w when I was recipe testing for the book, I thought, well, this is bound to be horrible. Yeah. Because I was 13 years old when I made it. Like, how good could it be? And it, the recipe involves taking butter and melting Snickers bars and and uh, marshmallows and mixing it with potato chips and pressing it into a mold and then cutting it up. And, you know, how disgusting. You know what? It's fabulous. Now, what I've had it you, on my menu ever since. What made you come up with this? Because this was like when you were a kid, there wasn't a lot of food in the house or something? You were just grabbing all these different things and seeing what worked or something? Well, I came up with the idea because I had had a party and I gave everyone Michelob beer and Snickers bars. And I thought, you know, the Snickers thing, I feel like there's more to it. So the idea was that all of my parties as a teenager had to include Snickers as an ingredient. And generally, everyone had smoked so much marijuana, it was very successful. Now, I said that. I went on the, on the Eyewitness News for a Mother's Day special, and I showed the Snickers Krispies. And I talked about it, and I said to the newscaster, this is something I invented when I was 13 years old and extremely stoned. <laughs> and do you know I got censored? They had just done like a crack bust, a rape, <laughs> a gang shooting, a murder, you know. And they were like, but no, we can't talk about marijuana and 13-year-olds. I'm like, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knew? Well, now they can because it's legal. That's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> so 
here you are. You, you're telling me you're at your book signing because you right. just did a two-year right. two right. tour of your book, right. and uh, that was super fun. Right. I know you had it here in L.A. at right, Book Soup. Right, right, at Book Soup. It was and, great. Um, you told me the story about the guy who's in line who almost looked like, well, I'll let you tell the story, well, that said he wanted to write your story into a, a one-woman show. So It's a three-person show, actually. Oh, 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 okay, so... But I want enough. you to tell the story. So it was like the first stop on the book tour. I was at the Javits Center, and there yeah. were thousands of people there. And I thought, you know, what can I do to get more people to my to my table? And so I decided to put out peanut butter and bacon sandwiches. And this huge crowd shows up. I oh, mean, wow. Tons I would of so be there. Oh, everybody was there. Everybody. <laughs> and so a lot of people were there because they knew it was a chef memoir. And a lot of people were there for the peanut butter and bacon sandwiches. But I look at I see this long line of people. And then on the line, I see this guy, and he looks kind of crazy. He's got like a scraggly beard, and he's dressed in the same color of brown as like a UPS worker. <laughs> and so I'm like, who's crazy guy, you know? Anyway, he gets up to me, and he says, I want to turn your book into a play. And so I'm thinking, you know, let's be very nice to him, and maybe, <laughs> you know, he won't hurt me, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, sure, what a lovely idea. You know, have a sandwich, you know, no problem. <laughs> But he stayed in touch, and he was really serious. And then I looked at, I Googled him, of course, and found out he really was a playwright. And he may or may not be crazy, but he really had done some great plays. And so I was like, all right, all right, I pay more attention. Anyway, one day I'm in L.A., I'm visiting my dad, and he sends me the entire first draft of the play. I mean, 120 pages or whatever oh it was. Oh, my And I thought, like, we had no agreement yet. You know, it could have, I could have said no, and then it would have been a horrible waste. But I thought, all right, I better read it. And I was praying I was going to like it. So it was laugh out loud hysterical. I mean, I was in my hotel room just cracking up hysterical. So I was like, okay, I agree. You know, we signed the contract. I was, like, thrilled. But then I thought, you know, that... The theater it was going to in Connecticut, and he was from Connecticut. He was Is that from how Connecticut. It ended up in Connecticut. He's from Hartford, Connecticut. Okay, and he we knew it was going to Theater Works. So you Canada. thought it was going to be some little podunk I theater? I thought, yeah. I thought, well, Theater Works must be some dumpy place on the highway. Maybe there'll be <laughs> pole dancers or something. You know. In fact, I mean, if you ever have a chance to go to see this theater, it's gorgeous. It's like a Lincoln. What part Center. of Connecticut? Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. It's called Theater Works, and there was a big banner outside with Richard Dreyfus on it. I mean, it's a gorgeous theater, and. So so even so, um, they set it up as like the summer sleeper. They gave some of the staff a vacation, and they didn't really think that it was going to be all that. And then it wound up selling out. I mean, like crazy standing ovation selling out. A big five-week smash. For five yeah. weeks. It was crazy smash, yeah. crazy smash. In this smash. gorgeous in theater this gorgeous in theater. Connecticut. Yeah. And the, the craziest part was on the nights that I was there, they would always tell the audience because – They'd be yeah. like, well, the real chef Rossi is in the house and she'll sign your book. And so when that would happen, the audience would go nuts like Madonna's in the in the theater. And I was yeah. like, don't these people know I live off Avenue C? You know, I, I don't even own a car. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, that's funny. Well, and who played you? Judy Gold, right? Well, in Hartford, a, a wonderful actress named Dana Smith-Kroll, who's fantastic, oh. played me. She was amazing, amazing. And then we had a New York showcase, and Judy Gold played me. Oh, yes. Which she's was hilarious. meant to be. I mean, famous she's a, comedian. a loud-mouthed Jewish oh, lesbian playing me. Oh, I can't even imagine playing her me. playing you. Perfect. It had to be fantastic. She she was in yeah. heaven. She felt like she was playing herself. Oh she was like, gosh. I get to play a loud-mouthed Jewish lesbian. Please bring it on. Who played your mother? Catherine Cates played my mother in New York. She was wonderful. 
She's wonderful. She's like known from from Seinfeld and a bunch of other things. Oh wow! And in Hartford, Marilyn Sokol played uh -huh. my mother. She's oh, fantastic. Wow. She she'll you'll recognize her face. She's like a fifty two year Emmy award winning actress. Wow! Amazing. You really had an amazing, amazing talent. Cast. And now it's going to be in St. Louis, and then mm -hmm. who knows where? I hope it's going to come here to L. A. So mm -hmm. you're working on taking it around the country, right? It comes yeah. to Wellfleet. Our opening night mm -hmm. is on August 24th. Oh, fantastic. Right in Wellfleet on Cape Great. Cod. Great, two nights from now. Absolutely. Wonderful. We're excited, and it's running all the way till September 15th. Okay. And, and what's uh, the name of the theater? The Wellfleet Harbor Actors Theater, Wonderful. which is affectionately known as Watt because that's a very long sentence. Fantastic. And then in October, we go to St. Louis to the New Jewish Theater, which is going to be fantastic. Oh, great. So we're hoping so, it'll come to L.A. So you have the one-woman show. That's a little show. Jewish star. <laughs> you have the one-woman one show. The three-person show. You do a podcast as that's well. That's right. That's and, right. And uh, you're on which radio in New York? Well, I've been on WOMR and WFMR, which is taped on Cape Cod. Mm. And I've been doing a in show. In Providence. In Provincetown and yeah. in in oh. also oh, Provincetown. In, or in Orleans, right. Oh, cool. And it's now in its 13th year. Wow. The show's called Bite This. It's a lot of fun. And, and how can people see that? Do they have to be in Provincetown? You could just go to WOMR.org. Oh. Okay. And go on Bite This, and you can hear all my old podcasts. Bite it's this. lots of fun, yeah. And I know you do a lot of Huffington Post articles, right, too. Right, I absolutely. love reading them. You are a fantastic writer. Thank you. Yeah. And so uh, podcasts, the books, the Huff mm -hmm. Posts, you have the new book you're working on. Right. Is that completed? The, I have completely finished it. I've, I'm really excited looking about for it. For an Escape agent from that. Kingston Avenue. Yeah, I'm looking for an agent. So. And I know you want to make a screenplay out of that, right? I wrote a screenplay for the first book. Oh, you book. wrote it already? Yeah, I wrote that already. It's fantastic. Is it called The Raging Skillet? That's called The Raging Skillet. Okay. But then I want to write one for Escape from Kingston Avenue, too. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, it has all the right ingredients for oh, yeah. a great movie. Oh, yeah. I've read the book, it is hilarious. People can get The Raging Skillet. On Amazon, right? That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And you have a website, The Raging Skillet, of the course. The And so if people want to have their parties catered, you do that in New York. Mm -hmm. In the New and, York area. And, and in New York, do you have like a favorite party that you've catered besides the vagina monologues? Oh, my God. Or a favorite you, client? You know what? It's usually the last thing. Like I'm always, I'm always doing things I love. Right. But I did have a client once who wanted me to feed all her guests from a bathtub which was kind of a brilliant <laughs> challenge. And so we took a giant six-foot brass antique bathtub and we filled it with Why? ice. Why did she want that? I guess it was... Just I, to be different? Just a thing. Yeah. Maybe it was like some fantasy she had as a little girl. I, I, maybe <laughs> she never. liked eating in the bath when she was a little girl. Like, who knows? <laughs> you so, don't ask, you just do it. I like whatever. I'm down for it. <laughs> so we filled it up with ice and then we covered it with a raw bar. And it, yeah. was really, it was really exciting. You know, I don't know how the Raging Skillet would do in Peoria, but you are in the perfect location for New York or perhaps L.A., well, we definitely yeah. want the play to come to L.A. Yes, definitely. definitely. Yeah, well, we'll have to make that happen. Definitely. And this movie, who would you like to play you in the movie? Oh, I know. I've always known. This is the reason I wrote the screenplay was I okay, started imagining her. Natasha Lyonne. Okay. Come on, that Natasha was... Lyonne from Orange is the New Black. She'd yes, be a great right. Rossi. Perfect. Okay. For and my the... mother, I want it to be Harvey Feinstein. <laughs> wait, that's already been done before. <laughs> wait, wait, Harvey Firestein. Oh. I pronounced his name wrong. Sorry, Harvey. Harvey Firestein, yeah. But he already played the woman in the mother in hair. I, I mean, know, not uh, hair, I hairspray. But, but <laughs> not, no, he was, not in hair. In hairspray. He was so There's good, a big though. difference. He's perfect. 
I, I think he would be great. Yeah. So uh, since you're, you know, really on your laurels, like what's next? So this the screenplay, mm-hmm. the the second book, and uh, continuing to build your business well, yeah, in New I mean, York. I'm right now, this uh, show, this live show. Right now, I'm looking for an agent for the yeah. screenplay in the second book. Okay. And I'm talking. Well, you're to, in the right place, Los I know, Angeles. I know. I'm yeah. hoping I find a great one. Yeah. And I'm like talking every day about getting the play out around the yeah. country as best I can. You know, there's one thing I know about you, and that's you're a manifester. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And thank so I, I can't wait for the movie. I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it, too. Right. Well, thank you for being on. I'm so happy. I know you flew in uh, with uh, Lydia today from uh, New York, and I'm so happy to have you all here. And uh, we're going to be back on next Wednesday. We'll see you then. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being on, Chef Rossi. Make it a great day. Hugs and happiness.